Appamada's programmes and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support really does make a huge difference. You'll find a link for contributions on the website at appamada.org forward slash contribute. Thank you so much. Wow, I can't tell you how wonderful this is. <laughs> It's such a, an incredible experience to be sitting here with you in the Zendo. <laughs> and for all of you who are participating online, I welcome you as well. And I'm so glad you can be with us. Um, it's just a joy to me that we can do this this way and be together. So it's been quite a harrowing journey we've been on. Right, all of us. And just this experience is such an absolute treasure. So I just got off the plane a couple of hours ago, and um, it's like another world. It's like being on another plane. <laughs> <laughs> it's so astonishing. So um, so familiar and so strange at the same time. So thank you for coming. Thank you for being willing to do this together. It means a lot to me. We've had a really wonderful experience, this very short two-day intensive. Um, but we'll all work together and try to make that uh, happen. Uh, first of all, the first thing I want to say is um, we are dedicating this intensive to the memory of Martha Ward. He was a very dear friend of the Sangha, and me personally, since we walked in the mornings every morning with Dennis and Stephanie. Um, and so uh, I, I have such a vivid memory of her, her strong personality and her sense of humor. And, um, I think of her in some ways as like the quintessential Texas woman, you know? <laughs> Gracious and refined and salty and hilarious and um, poetic and creative and uh, and that kind of take no prisoners person. You know? So I, um, I thought she was absolutely marvelous. And I'm so glad that we have an opportunity to honor her with our sitting together and uh, in her memory. Uh, so that's, that's sort of how I'm thinking of it anyway, as a kind of dedication. We can't, um, uh, you know, I can't anyway, go to the um, service tomorrow because I'll be leading this. And so um, so I, I hope that this will be a little, um, maybe a kind of an auxiliary memorial. <laughs> so we'll honor her even though we can't be over there. Um, so um, also for anyone who doesn't recall, we have parking available down at the um, uh, Juanito's Cafe parking lot. So if you have trouble finding parking on the street, that's, that's the, the place to go. Um, so, so yeah, so first of all, welcome. I'm really glad you're here. I'm delighted you're doing this. Um, as you see, I'm sitting in a chair because although I could sit on a cushion cross-legged, I can't get up and down. So, <laughs> so until my foot gets a little bit better, I'm not gonna be able to do that. And I'm limited to standing bows for the same reason. So, uh, but everything's feeling well, I'm in great shape and I can walk and 
you know, wear shoes and things, which is a big deal. <laughs> the first big deal was taking a shower, so yes, I'm sure all of you are grateful for that. <laughs> anyway, um, I want to talk a little bit about why I thought this particular topic of creativity in practice would be a good one for us to explore a little bit. Maybe it's just um, that it has great personal interest for me, um, but maybe it will have some interest for you too. You know, like if you're in this path over time, you will find it difficult. And part of what it becomes difficult is um, the team of your own mind, for one thing, um, and the feeling sometimes like you're slogging through a desert, you know. And I, am I really even getting anywhere? Am I, is, is this doing anything? So um, this idea that it's a joyful release uh, of waking up and growing up is sometimes a little hard for us to really comprehend. So, and sometimes it can seem boring, sometimes it can seem burdensome, sometimes it, you can feel stuck, right? This is where teachers can be very helpful. Um, it's not something to be ashamed of, and so this is always the problem is when students are struggling in that way, then they don't want to talk to the teacher. You know, that's one thing they don't want to do is talk to the teacher. Say no good news. <laughs> I'm thinking about becoming Episcopal. You know, it's like <laughs> so. So, but that's the very best time um, because certainly teachers know these places very, very well. So we're going to understand um, our own sort of stuckness or our own tough places a little bit better observe a little bit more what's going on, but also we're going to practice and explore some creative approaches to our own practice. So this isn't something we talk about a lot in Zen, you're just supposed to like sit, and if you're having difficulty, sit more. <laughs> you know? and, and so sometimes it can be a challenge. And Sandra, and sometimes it can just be a challenge um, just keeping going, right? There's many competing demands and plenty to do, you know, dusting and vacuuming and so forth, that are saying vastly more interesting sometimes. So, <laughs> so I, I, I'd like to offer, you know, some possibilities for us to, to have this uh, um, sort of open-hearted, uh, creative approach to our own Zazen practice. So partly to support that, we have a different format in, in terms of our Zazen periods this time, which will be 20 minutes of sitting followed by 10 minutes of journaling, writing, you can draw. Um, and what, and I will give you a little bit of a prompt about what to be, what to be thinking about in that reflection. Not just aimless, you know, um, but really trying to capture some of what you experienced in the Zazen period. Some of what floated up, some of what you noticed, um, whether it's physical sensations or emotions or conversations with other people, or uh, thoughts, uh, ideas, projects, plans. Um, and this is part, partly to make those little fragments we can capture of this you know, total chaotic universe of thinking. Um, those little fragments that we can capture, we can start to see what's going on. And also we can start to get playful. So of course, creativity is uh, inherent in the Zen tradition. So there's all kinds of examples of it from uh, starting in Chan with painting and poetry and um, Chinese gardens, um, the Mahayana efflorescence of literature, you know, huge, vast, um, epic literature 
Um, and then koans, which are playful, um, kind of creative expressions of our practice. That's just in Chan. Then in Zen, we, we, you know, we encounter haiku and uh, the shakuhachi flute and all kinds of creative expressions of Zen practice. Um, tea ceremony, Zen architecture and temples. Um, and then in contemporary terms, you know, we have uh, great examples of the practice in, uh, in music with people like John Cage and Coltrane, um, poetry and lit huge. We've got Jane Hirschfield, Mary Oliver's poets, Ruth Ozeki, who's a Zen priest, fantastic novelist. Um, and, uh, and dance, Deborah Hay, my body, the Buddha. Um, and, and, uh, and photography, you know, we have John Dyer-Lory and Flint are um, exponents of this mindfulness and photography. So these are expressions of our Zen practice from a still center. These are our um, I'd say the outflows of our Zen practice in these creative expressions, but we're not talking about that today. <clears throat> so the other um, kind of uh, exemplar I can think of is children playing. So I have uh, little nieces, they're nine years old. They're an endless stream of creativity. Um, they're constantly drawing, making comic books, um, they write little newspaper articles about their parents' failings. Uh, <laughs> endless, you know, endless stream of creativity. And they're always absorbed, like fully absorbed in it. And the thing that's interesting, I think, about um, children being creative is that for them, this form of play, they're just tireless at it. Um, it's constantly being regenerating itself. And it's very um, self-directed. Nobody's telling them, you know, make that look like a song, you know. So, um, so they sort of naturally draw and paint um, almost without any effort and certainly um, without any um, judgment. So they're just reeling these things off, you know. So uh, my, one of my other nieces, Esme, is just a born artist. She's always covered with paper mache that's all over the walls and the floor. <laughs> She's just in heaven, you know. <laughs> so she got two sets of markers, one alcohol-based, and one, um, what's the other base? Water-based. Water yeah. So um, for her, this is just all exploration. So you could ask her, what's the difference between the alcohol-based and the water-based? And she'll say, well, when you layer up color, when the alcohol base does this. And, um, and it's so interesting because for her, this is just the medium of play. It's not to get a nice picture. She doesn't care about that. She really doesn't. I mean, they're just effortlessly flowing out from under her crayons and, uh, and markers and things. So, and they're kind of world builders, right? Yeah, world builders. So, and the other thing I noticed about my um, granddaughter is the immense experience of contentment she has when she's doing something, painting or drawing. It's just, just this complete contentment. And I sort of contrast that with my own efforts, <laughs> with which I'm never very content with. <laughs> And this kind of, this is kind of satisfaction in the activity. So what am I saying here? They're not comparing themselves with anybody else. If you have a whole bunch of kids drawing in a classroom, um, they, they're not, and until they get to a certain age, they're not comparing their work with anybody else's. They're just drawing their thing. So it's like the little girl who was, you know, busy drawing and the teacher came over and said, oh, what are you drawing? And she said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher said to her, well, 
nobody knows what God looks like. She said, well, they will in a minute. So, but adults, you know, um, adults have been kind of uh, scrubbed of that playful, inventive, um, kind of effortless creativity. So it becomes an, a, an issue of identity and um, memory, that time that, you know, um, somebody didn't like something that you knew or whatever. So, so that they get to the point where they're um, surrounded by cans. So if I said to you, well, <clears throat> I'm going to give you some crayons on a piece of paper and you're going to draw a picture, you would tell me this, I can't draw. That's what grown-ups tell you. I can't draw. I can't dance. I can't, I can't play the musical instrument. I can't do this. I can't do that, you know, because that's what they've come to believe about themselves. But no, there's now a kid will never say to you, I can't color. <laughs> no, there's, unless they've really been hammered somehow, they're not going to say that. So because it's the activity for them, it's not the product, right? So, um, we're, so we're surrounded by this, you know, and, and people and will say, okay, yeah, we'd like you to write a poem. What are you going to say? I can't write poetry. I tried in high school, but it was stupid. Everybody says so. <laughs> so there's this kind of want to ask to do something that uh, might be creative. Many adults have a feeling of dread, you know, like they're going to be really showing up to be incompetent and um, that people are going to ridicule them. And it'll be really, really clear that they ought to have been practicing something they like <laughs> to practice. They should be able to be much better at it. So, um, so I think for us in, as adults, often pure play like that is very rare. You know, sometimes we have a hobby or something that takes us into that child mind of just pure play, but we tend to be pretty serious. And especially in Zen practice, we tend to be pretty serious about what we're doing. So we're sitting facing the wall and we're working on our enlightenment project. <laughs> so, you know, we've got our practice and um, this practice of meditation, which is supposed to be stillness and silence and all the forms, you know, and, and the aesthetics of that were what attracted some of us in the beginning, right? There are these monks in their black robes and these beautiful temples with these amazing gardens. And, and there was something really captivating about that, about the fact they were just all living together in this complete harmony, something you learn as kind of a fiction. But anyway, um, so, so what is uh, Zen but a kind of serious play? Because we're not paid to do it. In fact, sometimes we're paying, right? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's required us to do it. Nobody has commanded us to do it. None of our superiors have said to us, this is the thing you're going to do now, you know. Um, instead, it's sort of self-directed and self-selected in exactly the way kids do. But we don't do it exactly the way kids do things, right? We have forms. So that sort of scaffolds this activity of serious play that we're in. And sometimes, because we're grown-ups, we believe that we have to make it really serious. So we are really working hard at our practice and we have a long way to go, we know. <laughs> so this sort of takes away from this embodied immediacy that we talk about, you know, being present right here in whatever way um, is the 
life is presenting itself in this uh, watchful, curious stillness, right? So over the course of our spiritual journey, over the course of a lifetime, we're going to encounter some rough patches, some dry spells. Um, a lot of people leave practice because they encounter those things, and then they find out how much worse life is without the practice. You know, so some of them come back. Um, so, uh, so and, you, and you encounter boredom, big patches of boredom, and, uh, and stuck places, and sometimes we need a hand. Um, at one point, I said to Joe, I don't understand this phase of practice. You know, like, all the books are about for beginners, you know, but I've been doing this for years now, and I, I feel like this is just like trudging through a swamp. And she said, well, it's really like being on a very, very rickety bridge across a chasm, and you're in the middle of it. <laughs> I said, would you write a book for people who are in this place? <laughs> because we really need it. There's plenty of books for beginners, but there's nothing about this middle part. You know? And supposedly, at the other end, there's some awakened experience, but here we are on this rickety bridge, hoping not to fall into the chasm, right? So, um, so this zazen is actually processing us. We're not doing zazen, it's actually doing us. And this is hard for us to grasp. And sometimes I think um, we don't necessarily have to make it as hard as we've been making it for ourselves. That's, our, that's sort of our decision, right? make this hard and I'm not good at it. Those are the two things we decide. So my sense of how we can be creative in practice is not so much the expression of creativity in a poem or a song or something like that, but how we turn that creative mind toward our practice. So how do, so what is a creative mind? What what is the what what are the things that sort of characterize a creative mind, do you think? Open. It's open. Flexible. Flexible. Curious. Curious. Willing to take risks. Willing to take risks. Inventive. Inventive. Sees possibilities. Sees possibilities. Or, and, and more than that, appreciates possibilities. Appreciates possibilities. I thought about from the very beginning that there's a quality of restlessness and an impulse, you know, an impulse that takes you um, away from the status quo, whatever the status quo is, right? Um, into investigating or inquiry or something about what's another possibility, right? So I thought about when we're in Zazen and we have, um, and we notice that we're having thoughts or emotions or physical sensations, often we, over time, and this is why we get bored, discover that there are patterns that repeat, right? And so part of what we do is we keep reinscribing those patterns. Oh, this again, right? And we're making them actually stronger by revisiting them again and again. So what does a creative person do when they notice patterns? All kinds of things, right? They might exaggerate the pattern. They might turn the pattern 90 degrees. They might blow it up. They might um, break it down. They might give it a different color. They might, you know, um, they begin to play with that pattern. And I think in our zazen practice, we can play with those things that show up from 
taking a different perspective, for example, um, inhabiting a different persona is another way. Say, okay, now I'm going to view the same situation as Buddha, or as Avalokiteshvara, or as my neighbor, you know, um, as the ant that's on the floor. So the sort of openness to possibilities and the willingness to entertain alternatives. Um, we tend to s believe our thoughts as some sort of representing some sort of reality, and we will protest about that actually. But she actually is me, you have to admit. Right? <laughs> because you see it too, right? She's me. <laughs> this is you know, this is how we authorize a thought with a thought. You know. So so part of what we are doing when we turn a creative mindset towards our thoughts is to begin to challenge their sense of their, their conviction and say, start to see what other possibilities are there? You know, what's another way of looking at this? Or you, you've been in a big argument with someone and now you're going to see that argument from that person's view. And then you're going to see it from an innocent bystander's view. It just happens by. And in that way, you're entertaining new possibilities for the view so you don't get quite so stuck. So this is the um, challenge we have for this intensive is the ways that we can play with the things that are arising in our meditation. Now the Buddha was actually a great teacher of this. And I was thinking about that when I was saying about the Satipatthana Sutta and the Anapanasati Sutta, where he literally taught steps of meditation. And I thought, so he's giving instructions, you know, um, uh, you know, experiencing the body, I, you know, I breathe in, experiencing the body, I breathe out. Um, he's giving these step-by-step -step instructions, starting with the breath. And yet, what he's also doing is asking you to take different perspectives, a sort of creative view of, oh, now, now I'm experiencing joy. What's that, you know? What does it mean to experience joy? So in a way, he's inviting us to, into this imaginative capacity. It's the same with the meditation um, instructions that he gives for the Brahma Viharas uh, or for uh, meditating on the Paramitas, on generosity or on vigor. Um, so these open out the um, meditation process so that we can imagine our, our way into new perspectives on our practice. So when I was thinking about it that way, I was saying, oh, that's really the way that he shakes things up so you don't just fall into a stupor, um, but that you, now you're moving through, you know, experiencing long breath, experiencing a short breath, experiencing the body, you know, quieting the body. All these um, steps are not just instructions, but also new ways of seeing and, uh, and a way of sort of breaking out of just the trance of, um, our meditation. So that was my um, my thought about how we might use this time and the, um, the little journaling activity. If we repeat that, keep repeating that, we're going to discover something you know, over the course of the, of the intensive. The one period that we don't do journaling is the last period of the day, so the four o'clock period. But until then, and it means a sh little bit shorter sitting period, but that should enable you to capture some of what's going on in the in meditation. It was very difficult because, as you know, it's shards of thinking that follow each other, sort of 
not necessarily in a linear way, right? <laughs> necessarily in a logical way, rational way. So, yeah. So, um, so anyway, so these approaches are characterized by all of the things that you mentioned, uh, by this kind of quality of openness, this quality of, and a kind of delight. You know, this is like, it's delightful to be experimenting with different perspectives. Joel. I, I, when you were talking about the study of autonomous and transformative, it, it, it just occurred to me also that the Buddha was expressing confidence, you know, you can be confident even though you may not be feeling this, go ahead and turn toward it. Yeah. And you will discover it. Yeah. So there's something about delight and confidence too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and also contentment. Because even though a lot of great art is produced out of agitation or discontent, it's really kind of on that edge. It's got to come out of a certain contentment with yourself, with your own capacity. Right? Maybe you're agitated about something in the world, but um, but there's a sense of this is what I'm going to do in response. So now we're responding to what's going on inside us as we're sitting um, and discovering what we might learn if we take this playful kind of creative approach toward what's, what's coming up. And especially the things that we see are repetitions um, because while it can be helpful and productive to study those repetitions, it can also be very, very helpful to play with them and bring them a little bit. Um, so anyway, does that seem like something worth doing for our time together? Yeah, and then we'll have some opportunities to talk together about, not that you don't necessarily have to read anything that you've written, but we'll have some opportunities, some breakout rooms and so forth, where we can uh, talk together a little bit about what we're discovering um, and what, uh, what aspects of this are, are striking you one way or another. So, but I'm particularly um, interested in people who have been feeling kind of stuck or like, uh, you know, um, I'm not really sure what I'm doing in practice or why I'm doing this or, um, or I feel sort of stopped in some way uh, because I think this is a way to, um, to address that phase of practice. And maybe we don't have to go through quite so many months of it. Um, if we have some other approaches to dealing with it. So does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking about um, this, um, you know, this uh, Through Forests of Every Color, this new Joan Sutherland koan book. It's really quite wonderful. And in it, she's got a koan, koan from Lin Ji, which was, face the world and go crosswise. <laughs> face the world and go crosswise. I love that. So um, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to keep track of the time so we don't go too far. Huh? Okay, so do you have any questions about any of this or about the format or anything? So we'll do a little bit of that. So if you have notebooks, you can bring them, go get them and bring them. Um, but we'll do a little bit of that after. And if not, you can just take some pieces of paper from the study um, from the closet. Um, and and um, so we'll, we'll, we'll just practice this tonight with about 20 minutes of sitting and then about 10 minutes of just whatever you can capture. So you're not, um, you're not trying to be creative. You're not trying to, you know, you're not, it's really about this inward turn, as Dogen says, shining the light within. And then um, uh, capturing that, because that's how we can begin to play with it a little bit. Does that make sense? Does that make sense, folks? Darcy has a question, Peg. Yes, Darcy. My question is, um, 
do we have an opportunity to sit in, is the normal zazen period going to precede our intensive in the morning? Tomorrow, yes. So there'll be a, okay. there'll be a regular 6.30 sitting, but the intensive won't start until 8. So it's an optional sitting for people who are in the intensive. Gotcha. So some, some people will be able to do that and some people will not. So, um, but it's an option. Yeah. We'll okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. And hopefully we'll have AV monitors for that. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, we will definitely do that. Okay. Other questions? Other questions? Um, maybe we're we'll talking about this tomorrow, but um, how's the Kinhan going to be oh. integrated with the activities? Oh, okay. So um, the Kinhan periods will be 15 minutes long. All of them are optional outdoor walking meditation. That's why we make them, we're going to make them 15 minutes. So um, there are instructions for the timekeepers about when the clappers are and all of that. Um, but yeah, so, um, so during that time, don't, you know, don't, don't use that time to take a break unless you need to use the restroom or something like that. Use that time for mindful walking, wherever you're going to do that. Um, so it can be right around your living room or it can be, um, outdoors, but I strongly encourage you to do uh, outdoor walking meditation, at least one of those per day. Yeah, but, but it's so beneficial um, in opening our mind, expanding our mind, you know, be sure you look at the sky when you do, because I sometimes forget to do that. I'm so busy enchanted with the trees. <laughs> yeah, so anything else? Okay, I'm going to um, uh, leave you with uh, Zazen Shin. Um, I don't have the guidelines printed out, but I think most of you are familiar with the guidelines for intensives, but I will, I will um, get them, I will um, probably provide them for you tomorrow morning. Okay, but you know pretty much what our intensive guidelines are. Try to keep things simple at home. Um, not, don't complicate things. So, Shashi? Um, yes, hi, Peg. Um, so good to see you. Um, I was looking at your schedule and it said, maybe you already covered this and I missed it, but it says zazen and journaling. So we only have half an hour. So are we sitting or are we writing or can we do whatever we want? No, there, um, there's 20 minutes of sitting. There will be a one bell to end that sitting and start the journaling. Journaling for 10 minutes then. And then there will be two bells to start Kinhin. Okay. So it's 20 minutes of sitting and 10 minutes of journaling. And that can take any formula. You can be drawing or you can be writing. You can just make a list of things. You can, you can write for 10 minutes. I have no idea what to write here. I'm so confused. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, but it's 20 and 10. Yeah, I'll, I'll accept the four o'clock sitting as just a half hour sitting, regular half hour sitting, right? Okay, so we'll get ready for that sitting. And if you need to get a notebook or some paper from the study, please do so. And then whenever it is reassembled, then Nate will give us three bells to start Zaza. At the end um, of,
tonight and at the end of each day, we'll do the refuges. And if you're not familiar with them, just pay attention and you'll learn them from the refuges. Thank you.